Well, thank you for being here this morning. We're starting a new series this morning, uh, and we are going to look at the life of Jesus, and we're going to consider the life of Jesus um, right through until we celebrate Easter together. Uh, and, and, you know, if we talk about the fact that we're followers of Jesus, if we talk about the fact that we're Christians, then it, it seems to me that we ought to spend time periodically um, looking at who Jesus is and making sure that we haven't lost sight of the truth about who Christ really is and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So we're going to jump in uh, to the life of Jesus and talk about what it means to be a follower of his. Uh, We're going to do that through the gospel of Mark. So I want to invite you this morning to join me uh, in this journey of what it looks like, what uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, uh, and to start that off, I have a picture for you. I just wanted to see if anybody knows who this guy is. See, the most interesting man in the world. Thank you very much. One brave soul who was actually willing to admit that he knew that commercial. And the most interesting man in the world, you know, when he goes fishing, uh, the fish line up in a single file for him to catch them. Uh, when he, you know, goes before the Pope, the Pope starts to bless him, and uh, no, you're good. Um, you know, stuff like that happens to this guy. He's the most interesting man in the world. A whole series of commercials about this, and, and I was a little disappointed when I found out that his real name is Jonathan Goldsmith. I don't know, just didn't, I thought it was something more exotic than that, um, but he's retired apparently on his way to Mars, and they've replaced him with a new guy, we have his picture up there, and he's going to try to take over. We'll see how that goes for him. But they bill him as the most interesting man in the world. And what we're going to talk about this morning is that, that who's the real most interesting man in the world? Who's the most interesting man in the history of the world? And that's Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ um, separates history for us. That before he was born, we call that time B.C., After he's born, we call that time A.D., so even our calendar is a reflection of how interesting, how important, how significant is the life uh, of Jesus. And so when Jesus was born, talk about the most interesting man in the world. When Jesus was born, angels burst out of heaven to proclaim the birth of Christ. Uh, They said, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to whom he is pleased. Uh, so Jesus, uh, when he was born, the wise men came. They went, came hundreds of miles just so they could kneel before him and worship him. Jesus lived his life like no person had ever lived their lives. Uh, he died on a cross. When he died on the cross uh, for us, the whole earth turned dark. When he rose again uh, on Easter morning, he was seen by more than 500 people at one time. There were countless of eye, countless eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. He's the most interesting person in the history of the world, the most significant person in the history of the world. And one of the things that we understand when we look at the life of Jesus is what happened to his followers, that we, um, that his followers turned the world upside down. Uh, and, and today we have hospitals because the followers of Jesus decided there needed to be a way to take care of the sick and not just cast them out, not just get rid of them. We have public education because, uh, because followers of Jesus decided 
decided that every child should have an opportunity uh, to learn, an opportunity to read. We have all of these things that have happened in our world because Jesus was the most significant person that ever lived and his followers simply followed him to do what he did. And that's who we're gonna look at. Uh, That's who we're gonna talk about. One of the other things that's significant about Jesus we find in the very first chapter of the Gospel of Mark in verse 22, it says this, and they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. The scribes were the lawyers of the day. They were the intellectuals. They were the most uh, uh, educated of the day. And Jesus came, and what it says is that he spoke. When he spoke, everybody listened. When he spoke, there was authority in his words. The scribes had great information. The scribes had lots of education. They had knowledge, but they didn't have authority. And when Jesus spoke, it changed everything. People listened, people obeyed, people followed because of who he was, because the power uh, that came from Jesus, the most significant person in history. Well, we're going to look at it through the lens of the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Mark begins in chapter 1, verse 1, with this statement about Jesus. It's the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The very beginning, Mark is saying, I'm gonna tell you a story about who Jesus is. The gospel is the good news. Uh, Sometimes we think the gospel is bad news. Sometimes we think the gospel is hard news. And what they're saying is that the gospel is good news. The gospel changes everything. What we discover when we look at Jesus Christ is the impact that Christ has in our lives and in the world. It's the good news of who Jesus Christ is. Jesus, the name that he was given, Jesus means God saves. It means Jehovah saves. That, That the promise was that God would send his son into the world, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life and that is Jesus he's the Christ because Christ is the the Greek term for the Hebrew Messiah which is God's anointed one the person the one that God sent to be the savior of the world so Jesus is the one who God sent Jesus is the anointed one and Jesus came bearing good news for anybody that would listen and this is the story Mark says now one of the things you'll appreciate about the Gospel of Mark is it's the shortest of the Gospels. And uh, sometimes people just like that better, you know. And, but Mark is more concise. He's more passionate. Uh, he's more focused than any of the other uh, writers of the Gospels. But in Mark, the first chapter, he talks about who Jesus is. And when he talks about Jesus and when he talks about the good news, he begins uh, with this idea of the gospel and then he talks about the prophet, he quotes the prophet Isaiah. 700 years before the birth of Christ, this prophet Isaiah uh, speaks about the coming Messiah. You know, for hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, there were prophets that talked about Christ coming, and he fulfilled all of those promises. He fulfilled all of those prophecies about who he was, and in Mark 1, uh, Mark quotes one of those prophets, Isaiah, and what he says about the coming of Jesus, and he's referring to this man, John the Baptist, who would come before Jesus. John was the last of the prophets, and his message was repent, 
and prepare the way of the Lord. His job was to come like a big earth mover and to plow uh, the ground, to plow the road, so that when Christ came, everyone was ready. For, so when Christ came, the world was prepared to hear the message of Christ, to understand who he really was, and that was the job of John the Baptist. And, and if you like to uh, look a little bit more at John the Baptist, I would recommend you look at the first chapter of John and has a beautiful picture of who John is. In fact, one of the things that he says in John 1 is that I need to become less so that he can become more. John Baptist's whole job, his whole life was about preparing the way for the Messiah, for people to see Jesus, for people to hear about Christ. And, and then we have this place in Mark 1 where it says that John the Baptist is arrested And it's not until John the Baptist is arrested and Jesus is about 30 years old that he actually begins his public ministry. Now, it's sort of interesting in those days, you had to be about 30 before people felt like you had anything to say. I like that. That works for me. Try that on a 16-year-old, right? Not so much, but... But you had to be about 30. In fact, it reminded me that some, uh, a couple years ago, Caleb, our oldest son, was, going to, was invited to Korea to speak at a conference with pastors, and they had to get a, a special permission for him to speak because he wasn't 35, and you had to be 35 years old in order to be able to stand up in front of all these pastors and, and uh, have something to say because it was a respect, uh, a sign of respect and, and a sign of honor that you were at a place in your life where you had something to say. I kind of thought that was cool too. But Jesus waits until he's about 30. John the Baptist has been in prison. And then Jesus starts his ministry. And Mark, uh, in his own unique way, gives us a a little piece of the words of Jesus. And here's what it says in Mark 1, verses 14 15. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Wow. After John's arrested, Jesus comes to town. Jesus is walking through this region of Galilee and he says three things. He says the time has been fulfilled. You've you've heard the prophecies of Elijah. You've heard all the things that have been said about the coming of the Son of God. It's about to be fulfilled. He's here. This is the time. And and then he goes on to tell them that the kingdom of God is here. And this is going to challenge them when they think about it because for centuries they had had this idea that when the Messiah came, he would overthrow the evil government. He would overthrow, at this time, the Romans and he would set up a theocracy, which a a God-led government and the Israelites would be the leaders of that government and they would rule the world with the, the Messiah. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming and I'm bringing my kingdom and it's not what you were expecting and it's not what you thought it would look like but it's my kingdom and be ready be prepared because the time has been fulfilled the messiah is here he's bringing his kingdom and then he tells us this and repent and believe in the good news repent and believe in the gospel repent is sort of an interesting word for us because as soon as I say repent, some of you get nervous and tense and and think this is where, you know, we start explaining all the rotten things you've done and how you need to, you know, turn or burn or change your life or, you know, whatever it is. I know a few of you got that, but repent means, in the Greek, it's two words, metanoia, and it means to change your mind. 
It means that however you've been thinking, when Jesus shows up, he's going to turn all of that around. He's going to change how you've been thinking. He's going to change how you think about the world. He's going to change how you think about your life. Yes, uh, the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we repent that, we turn from that. But there's also a part of our lives that we just think poorly sometimes, and we're called to repent. We're called to change our minds. I've been walking one way. I'm going to turn and walk another way. Everything is going to look different everything is going to be different because now I'm following Jesus and it's about where he goes and it's about what Jesus says not about my assumptions not about my expectations not about how I think the world is supposed to be but to believe in the good news requires a change in how I think how I look at the world what I consider best what I consider right what I consider when I consider what I deserve Repentance means I began to think about Christ. What would Christ think? What does he want? What does he expect of me? What is he asking of me? And so he gives that message, repent and believe the good news. And so with that in mind, we're gonna keep moving through this first chapter of Mark. And the first thing that Jesus does after he gives his message, after he says the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is here, Repent and believe the good news. Then Jesus goes out and does something really interesting. In verse 16, it says, And passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Verse 17 says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and, I will ma- I, and you will become, I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. So picture this scene. Jesus is walking through this region of Galilee. There's, it's called Galilee because there's the Sea of Galilee right there. It's, it's a deep, freshwater lake, and it was famous for its fishing, that it was, uh, it was a huge fishing area. Uh, lots of people, uh, their professions, their life's work was to be fishermen. That's, that's what they did, and we come along two men, uh, Simon, who is gonna be called Simon Peter, Uh, the Apostle Peter, he and his brother Andrew are doing what fishermen do. They are mending their nets. They're out with their boat. You see, in those days, fishermen fished at night, and then in the morning when they would come into shore, that's the time they would mend their nets and clean their nets and prepare themselves for the next night. They'd go home and get some rest, and then they would do it all over again because apparently it was easier to catch fish and they were asleep, right? No, I'm not sure if that's true, but they always fished at night. That's what fishermen did. And so now they're mending their nets, they're cleaning their nets, and Jesus comes to them and says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. They're fishermen. This is what they do for a living. It's what they've always done for a living. They're small business owners. This is how they take care of their family. And here's Jesus, the most interesting man in the history of the world, who speaks with authority who's like no other person they have ever seen before. Is he the one that we've been waiting for? Is he the one that's been promised to us? Jesus comes and he calls them to be with him. He gives them a promise that I'm, you're no longer gonna be fishing for fish. You're gonna fish for men. That you, I'm gonna change your life. I'm gonna change how you think. I'm gonna change the direction of your life. And what the scripture tells us is that they left everything. They dropped their nets. They left their boats and they followed Jesus. Now, it continues on with this. 
And immediately they left their nets and followed him. In verse 19, and going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So Jesus continues along. He calls Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and they leave their nets, and they follow Jesus. And then he goes along to, to John, uh, James and John, the, the sons of Zebedee. They had another nickname, right? James and John did. They were called the sons of thunder. Apparently, they were the wild children, you know? Uh, they had, you know, they had the leather tunics that they wore out, you know, when they weren't fishing and stuff, and they caused trouble, and they were a little bit rowdy, and they had this nickname, Sons of Thunder, but this day, they're fishing, they're cleaning their nets, uh, and they're mending their nets, and they work for their dad. Can you imagine this conversation? Jesus comes, and, and they've just had their catch of fish, and it means everything to them. It means feeding their family. It means taking care of uh, several families, and they've just finished a night's fishing. They're cleaning their nets. They're mending their nets. And Jesus comes and says, follow me. And it says they left everything to follow Christ. They left everything. And they look at Zebedee. And they say, Dad, we gotta go. We can't finish here. You've got servants to help you, but we have to follow Jesus. What an interesting conversation. Do you think Zebedee might have said, hey, I built this business to give it to you guys someday to hand it off. That's what I've been working so hard for and now you're just gonna walk away from it. I don't know what Zebedee said to him. I don't know how he felt about it, but James and John left everything to follow Jesus that day because of who Jesus was. Not because it seemed like a smart economic idea. Uh, not because it was gonna find them prestige and power. They didn't know anything. All they knew is they were leaving everything they'd known and everything they had to follow Jesus. But what we know is that they changed history. They left everything to follow Jesus. Jesus called them to be with him and to witness all that Jesus did and said. And later, they are gonna go into the world and they're gonna proclaim what they saw, what they experienced, what Jesus said when they were with him. Well, now we get another great picture in, in Mark, the second chapter. Verse 13 says this, and he went out again, referring to Jesus, beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. People were flocking around him to hear what he was gonna say, to see what he was gonna do, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, uh, he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Seriously. Now, Jesus had just called the fishermen and they're following him. They left everything to follow Jesus. Now, he, he's, he's walking through Galilee again and he sees a tax collector. We talk about tax collectors enough for, for most of you to know that people hated tax collectors. They despised tax collectors because tax collectors in that day, uh, they were Jews who had betrayed their own people and had gone to work for the Romans. And the Romans required a tax and then the tax collectors could set a sum higher than that tax and you had to pay it because when they came to your door, they had some soldiers, some Roman soldiers with them and you were forced to pay whatever it is that they told you the tax was. So tax collectors were wealthy, they were powerful, but they were also considered traitors to their own people, and they were despised by their people. Now, this particular tax collector in Galilee, uh, if he's by the sea, his job was to, to collect taxes from fishermen 
on their catch of fish. And Jesus comes and he says, oh yeah, I want you too. I have fishermen who spent their whole lives hating tax collectors, and I have a tax collector who uh, has spent his whole life cheating fishermen, and I want you guys to come together and you to follow me. I want you to leave everything and follow me. And Levi, it says, who, uh, who most scholars think uh, later is known as Matthew, Levi leaves everything to follow Jesus. And Jesus has just started his band of disciples with two groups of people who despise each other, who don't trust each other. And here's what Jesus is saying, that it doesn't matter what you think about that because I'm changing your mind. I'm changing how you think about people. What matters is are you, a fol- are you following me? What matters is do you believe in the good news of who I am? And so he is building this group of people. He is building this community of people in it, in, uh, from disparate backgrounds, people who wouldn't talk to each other, who people would go the other way to keep from having to see each other, to interact with each other, and he is putting them together, and he's not saying, I want you to sit down and have a little detente. I want you to sit down, and I want you to talk about all your issues a little bit, and let's work all this stuff out, and let's get our feelings out, and onto the table, but Jesus is saying, I want you to set all of that aside, and I want you to focus on following me, and let's see what happens. And he builds his team, he builds his disciples, because they follow Jesus. Not because they're convinced about who's right and wrong. Uh, Not because Jesus is taking a side, but Jesus is saying, it's my side, it's my kingdom, it's about following me. And and, you, you know, we get so caught up and trying to figure out who's right and who's wrong and and who's got the best argument and all of those kinds of things. And Jesus is saying, there's a point where we start and we start by the fact that we're followers of Jesus and we come together in the name of Jesus. Then we have room, then we have community, then we have an opportunity to work out those things, but we do it in the name of Jesus. We do it because first and foremost, we're followers of Jesus. That's what really matters. So he pulls together fishermen and he pulls together tax collectors and he says, here's what I want you to understand. That you're not, you're not identified anymore by being a tax collector and you're not identified anymore by being, a, uh, by being a fisherman. But you're identified as a follower of Jesus first. And, and I, I was reminded of this great little quote by an old friend of ours named Brennan Manning. And here's what Brennan says. So many problems in my life have come because I've forgotten who I am in Christ. So many problems in my life have come because I've forgotten who I am in Christ. Isn't that true? When when we start focusing on who's right and wrong, when we start focusing on our issues, when we start focusing on anything other than who I am in Christ, that that's where my identity begins, that's where my life starts, that's the, the point of reference that everything else comes out of, then we have something to work on, then we have a place uh, to start at. Then we have a place of love and acceptance for each other that we can grow from there. I- I'm not saying that we ignore injustices and I'm not saying we ignore hard things, but I am saying where we start is we start as followers of Jesus and we lay everything aside to follow him. You see, the one thing that Peter and James and John and Andrew had in common with Levi is that they left everything to follow Jesus. Everything. Everything. That's why when, when, a, when a religious leader asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? 
that Jesus said it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He said, and to love your neighbors yourself. And he said that we love him with everything. We set everything else aside. Everything else is less than loving Jesus, that we love him with all that we are. We love him with everything, that our life is focused first and foremost on the fact that we love him with everything that we have. And then all of those other issues, all of those other challenges in our lives then begin to take form and and, uh, fit through our love for Jesus and what it means to be a follower of him. And the disciples came and imagine how they spoke to the world. Uh, imagine when, when, a, when a, a fisherman and a tax collector came arm in arm and said, no, it's not about our differences, but it's about the fact that we love Jesus. It's about the fact that we're followers of Christ, that that's what changed our lives. He's changed our lives. He's caused us to rethink what we value. He's caused us to rethink who we care about. He's caused us to rethink all of the ideas that we had about the world and now we're followers of Jesus and we're doing this together. Because when we read through the Gospels and and even into the book of Acts, one of the things that was transformative in the world was how much these people loved each other, how much they cared about each other, how they sacrificed for each other. And that's, I know, I I know that's difficult for us. It's hard for us because we have so much But Jesus said, here's what it means to be a follower of mine. You you lay all of that aside and see what I can do. Uh, I don't think that Peter could have possibly imagined that when he left his nets and he left his boats and he left everything that he had ever known to follow Jesus, I don't think he could have possibly imagined that we would be talking about him more than 2,000 years later that he would be a picture for us of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to have a life that's transformed, to have a life that has impact. So here's the thing. I don't think we have any idea how impactful our lives can be when we lay everything down to follow Christ. We might think that we're having an impact now. We might believe, and maybe we are to a certain degree, but but what what would it look like if we gave everything? What would it look like if we laid everything down and said, Lord, first and foremost in my life, I'm a follower of you. That's what I want my life to to look like because it does have an impact. It does change everything. And and, um, I have a video of some other uh, fellow believers, followers of Jesus that I think uh, do a spectacular job of expressing this for us. 